Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species is a radio program dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia and streamed live via the 3CR website. Podcasts are available via the 3CR and Freedom of Species websites as well as iTunes. Welcome to Freedom of Species. My name is Kate Gracie and today in the studio I've got Katya and Nick from the organisation Mange Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Kate. Now, it seems to me like um, wombats are in crisis right now. There's, there's tourists paying to shoot them. There's a rogue cop that's stoning them to death. There's the environmental factors exacerbated by climate change like drought. There's the constant threat of death on the roads. And if that wasn't enough, there's this terrible mange condition. And I've probably missed something in all of that. Have I? Have I missed some other threats? Um, loss of habitat. Loss of habitat, of yeah. There's a lot going on for the, for the wombats. Now, can you just start by telling us what sarcoptic mange is? So mange is um, caused by a mange mite. So it's a parasite which burrows under the skin of the wombat and um, then um, scabs form, really thick scabs, and they become um, fly-blown, they uh, crack open and they be- can become infected. And then uh, secondary infections kick in and the wombats die from it. So where did mange come from? Does it exist in the envir- environment normally or does it come from somewhere else? Well, it is in the environment like uh, fleas and ticks, but it has been brought in by the first settlers um, with their dogs or foxes most likely. Okay, with the Europeans. With the Europeans, yes. Right. Is it getting worse or is it just more on our radar now? Um, it's probably getting worse um, with different warming conditions and certain habitat changes. Um, it's allowing this sort of to spread more and other species are becoming infected with it as well. Right. What other species are getting infected? Well, the one at the moment is koalas, for example, oh, which really? people wouldn't have thought about. But um, koalas come down onto the ground, they pick up the mange mite. Um, very difficult to treat koalas with mange. And they've but got enough on their plate too right exactly, now. Exactly, yes. You're right. Is mange the same as scabies? Yes, yes. So um, scabies or mange in humans is called scabies. So um, it's quite prevalent through the warmer parts of the world. Um, but um, yes, it's the same thing. And is it the same as? Is it also the same as mange that we see in dogs sometimes, particularly in developing countries when you see mangy dog? Um, it. Dogs can have different types of um, mange. So there's a demodectic um, mange mite, 
which is not as severe as the sarcoptic mange we are dealing with um, and the one with the wombats but dogs can get all that uh, those mites however it's very easy to treat in dogs okay and obviously it's not so easy in in wombats and is it transmissible to humans this the wombat mange um, it can be transmitted to humans, um, saying that I've um, been doing this um, kind of work for seven years now and I never had mange. Usually the mange mites are quite happy on their host. Um, they're only once the host kind of is in the last stages of their life. Um, they, tr- they need to find a new host to survive because mange mites can only survive for up to three weeks without a host in the environment. Okay. So if it, if it does go to a human, I suppose you would treat it like... You treat scabies. It's, so it's not something critically dreadful. You not treat at it. all. It's yeah, very okay. self-limiting in humans because okay. we don't have as much fur as wombats do. And um, it's just a cream from the chemist for a, a few days and that's done. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what does mange look like when a wombat is infected? I mean, I know you under, you, you, you explained about the scabs that form on, on wombats, but if how do we identify a, a wombat with mange? How do we know categorically that they've got mange? Um, well, there's different um, types. Uh, it presents in wombats um, as kind of it starts off as what, what I call tiger stripes, so light stripes on the side of um, the wombat. Um, the difficult thing is that uh, wombats can have fur loss um, due to other things as well, like wombat attack and dog attack. So it's, uh, that's why we try and get people to send in a photo of their wombat so we can identify and assess whether it is mange or not. But uh, wombats with mange have uh, form scabs on the sides and they usually have a kind of a mohawk down the spine where there's still fur left. And on the other areas, there's scabs or fur loss um, visible with mange. And they also lose a lot of condition, don't they? So you, they they, you sort of see them looking pretty emaciated, well, relatively emaciated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they come out during the day and that's when people see them because they need to um, eat more. Um, and keep going due to the mange. So they come out because they need to eat more or because they're disoriented? They're disoriented. Um, they don't see well but and hear well, but it's only the scabs over their eyes and ears which do that, and it reverts back to normal once they get treated. Um, but they do come out earlier uh, during the day, and that's when people um, see them and um, figure out that something's wrong Um Saying that, though, uh, some wombats come out, they're healthy, during, especially during winter. And on cooler days, they like to sunbath in front of their burrows or close to their burrows. So it's not always a bad sign when you see out a wombat with mange, only when you see it has scabs and looks uh, very thin. Okay. And that's usually an issue. Okay. So you wouldn't normally confuse a mangy wombat with a scarred wombat. It looks They look quite different, don't they? A mangy wombat looks in a really bad way. Yeah, the bangy wombats, uh, they look scabby. Uh, the most common um, sign for a wombat with wombat attack, so wombats will attack each other for territorial reasons, and what they tend to do is swing their back around and face the attacker because at the back they have a thicker skin and less blood flow through there. So what tends to happen is you get this sort of chunked up sort of furry um, mess on their um bum basically and that's an in, that's a sign of um wombat attack um but uh mange on the other hand you'll see the tiger stripes around the side you'll see the shoulders with um crustacean you'll see the the head and maybe down the back sort of with crustacean that sort of thing so it's quite distinctive yeah, the two okay. anyway yeah okay and is that 
do all wombat species um, get it? Is it yes, it- uh, potentially yes. Um, there's three um, subspecies of wombat. So there's the bear nose wombat, which we have here. There's the southern hairy nose wombat, which they have in South Australia right. and Western Australia. And then there's also the northern hairy nose, which is in one or two isolated patches in Queensland. Um, so far, I don't think the Queensland ones have had mange. Um, they're very isolated um, up there, so that's been good. So that sort of shows that if they're if mange isn't here, they're fine. Um, so uh, on the other hand, the southern hairy nose wombat, I don't think they've had a lot of mange issues down there, but probably because of, uh, I think one theory was because of the soil is different. It's got a lot more um, um, sedimentary sort of uh, makeup to it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So are there particular geographic regions or, or districts in Australia, or at least in Victoria, where mange is more prevalent, or where, or at least where, say, wombats are more susceptible. Well, the mange mite likes moist and cool conditions. Okay. So anywhere where you've got those kind of conditions, um, say we've got a, a big problem down Venus Bay area, yeah. um, South Gippsland. I know that area well. Also up the ranges, so where it's you know kind of cooler and and a bit more moist yeah there's hot spots um in the state where we've got more um, cases okay all right so tell me what's the normal progression for a wombat infected with mange if it's left untreated it very much depends on um how that wombat got infected like was he sniffing maybe on a dead carcass did he pick up you know a number of mites in the burrow um and the severity of the mange they've got. So you can't generally say, you know, it's a certain number of months, but um, it takes a few months for them to develop um, those um, crusts and scabs and to go downhill and, you know, get thin and everything else. Um, It's kind of, it also depends on the season, um, the time of year. In summer, we've got a a bigger problem with um, fly strike and um, maggots and that sort of thing. Um, also not enough food for them to keep up um, the nutri- nutrition. Um, and so it, it very much depends on that. So you can't generally say, um, but it's a, a number of months depending on the time of year and the severity of the infection. Okay. And does it always result in death? Does mange always end in death? Yes. It is. Yes. It's pretty final. Yep. Right. Uh, as I said, though, it's all, as Katja said earlier, it's... Um, they tend to die from secondary issues. So um, the mange oh, like itself... Like the infection from the, the fly strike or something correct. like that. Yeah, oh, okay. or they might get septicemia or something like that. Some, What's septicemia? I should know this, but I don't. A blood-borne uh, oh, okay. issue. Blood yeah. yeah, okay. Blood poisoning, yeah. yeah. Right. Could they possibly starve to death? Um, usually something else will get them before they that, okay. starve to death. Um, okay. That said, that you do see them quite um, emaciated in late summer, in autumn... Yeah, okay. This year was really bad. We had a very dry autumn and just no growth, and so yeah, they right. really suffered. Would it be logical to think that mange could be leading to more road deaths of wombats when they, you know, they're sick wombats out in the daytime more, and they've got they're going blind and their hearing's bad because of all the, the incrustations? Um, well, it's kind of the irony. We find that um, very few mange wombats actually get um, killed on the road, oh, okay. from what we've observed anyway, yeah, okay. and from what our records show. Um, and I suspect it's because most of the time wombats are out during the day 
um, with mange, they can be seen by oh, drivers yeah. uh, at night. You won't see a healthy one who's black and, yeah, that's what I think the problem is. Yeah, true, very true. Um, I know driving on the roads with a dark wombat, you see them at the last second. Yep. I, I heard about a, that mange almost wiped out an entire population of wombats in Tasmania. I'm wondering, is that a real threat elsewhere also? Like, is mange actually threatening the survival of wombat populations widely across Australia? So we actually, to start with, we've been involved um, with that research in Tasmania at Narantuku National Park, where they had in 2010 250 wombats. Um, They've been doing yearly population surveys there. And uh, now there's less than five left uh, once mange came into the park. So Nick and I went over there in 2015 to um, assist with that research and set up borough flaps and that sort of thing which was uh, temporarily successful but not in the long run with a population treatment um, like that. Uh, There's different um, rules and conditions that need to be observed. But it did basically wipe out that population. And it it can um, it, it was very much because it was bordered on three sides by water, so it was a very unique situation. Um, but it can happen on a smaller scale, I suppose, in other areas too, that it wipes out local populations. These five remaining wombats in this population in Tasmania, are the prospects looking okay for those guys? Not really. They probably all get wiped out. Mm. Um, and then there needs to be um, you know, an assessment what's going to happen in that park because the groundwater is really high in that park, which makes it difficult. There's a lot of grazing pressure due to other animals like uh, kangaroos, uh, wallabies, pedamelons and that sort of thing. So it's um, very difficult conditions in that park especially. Okay. Now let's talk about the treatment because wombat mange is treatable, right? How's it done? Um, So we uh, treat uh, with a product called Cydectin, which needs to be applied once a week. Um, And for a number of weeks, it depends very much on how the wombat responds. Um, The treatment protocol says um, 12 treatments, eight weekly and uh, four fortnightly. Um, But we find it depends. We can often see um, a cure after five to eight treatments. And how do you find that wombat? If you, you know, I'm assuming this is it, you're out in the, You've spotted a wombat in the bush. You're going to treat it. Are you? How do you find it each week that you return? Well, fortunately, the thing about wombats in general is they have habits ah. and they follow tracks. They follow the same burrows. Uh, on average, um, you might have four or five burrows to one wombat. Um, you can tell if it's an active burrow usually by the scrapings and the diggings. If you're not sure, we put two or three sticks over the entrance and if the sticks are pushed out we know something's come out if they're pushed aside we know something's gone in so that's how we can tell if it's an active burrow or not um but they're very uh bound by their habits so nine times out of ten you'll turn up there and you'll see the same wombat okay but what will change is instead of being out during the day when they're being treated early on as it progresses and the treatment starting to work they'll get back to their nocturnal activities. So then it becomes a case of working out where the burrows are and setting up a burrow flap to dispense the um, cydectin on the back of the wombat. Okay, so hang on, let's just backtrack. So you've got the first one is when you've got the, the daytime the daytime wandering wombat. Yep. What does that treatment actually look like? What's so involved? We might use a pollen scoop. So it's literally a um, scoop from a laundry, um, what do you call it, um, powder, and I've got one. 
nailed onto the end of a long stick. Oh, it's high tech. It's high tech indeed. <laughs> in fact, mine goes into two parts. I can get it in the car. Right. <laughs> um, and then we just um, put the cydectin in the scoop. Um, there's a bit of what I call wombat ninja going on. You have to sneak up in particular ways. I might leave the car engine running. I might leave the radio blaring in the car. So we can't hear your footsteps. Exactly, yeah. Right. And I come from downwind. Um, right. I've had some wombats you can just walk straight up to and off you go. And yeah. then there's others that you can get within 20 or 30 metres and they hear you. Once they hear you or pick up a, a whiff of you, that's it, they're off. Okay, so, so you're in stealth mode. In stealth mode. <laughs> and I've even taken shoes off, this sort of thing, and stripped off pants that are noisy and all sorts of yeah, things. So you don't get that rasp, rasp, rasp. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> that it's a trail of clothing as I approach the wombat. <laughs> um, so uh, that's the initial stages. Pollen scoop works really well because it's um, you can place the um, cydectin where you need to on the back of the neck of the wombat roughly. Um, the next stage... In one blob. In like, one blob, yeah. Okay. Or just run it along the back sort of thing. Like along your spine. Along the spine, yeah. yeah. Okay. And yeah. how much... Sort of what amount of cydectin are you talking in your scoop? Um, we're just using the five mils, which oh, is what's recommended. Much. No, it's, it's a small so that's amount. that's like a teaspoon. Yes, yes. So it's like wow. the cap... The Well, to give you an indication, when we then set up a burrow flap, which is just an ice cream lid with a... a, a, a cap of a milk bottle, a two-litre milk yeah. bottle, that's about five mils. Right. So, so we're talking tiny amounts. Yes. So yeah. you, you, I'm imagining if you're using such tiny amounts, you've got to be kind of get it right because yes. there's not a lot of excess to to splash around. Yep. You have to get that five mils where you need that five mils. Yes. So that's why the pollen scoop works so well. Um, plan B is to have a burrow flap. So, um, so what... that, that's, hang on. So, But the, the pollen scoop is daytime when they're out and about. Yep. And then... The burrow flap is when you said when they're further down, they're, when they're starting to improve, they're going back to their, or you can only get to them at yes, night time. Yes, exactly. And so, then you put them, and then you put them yeah, out. So if you try and go out there and use a spotlight or a torch and approach a wombat, wombat's a bit smarter. He goes, hang on a sec, I don't know who you are, and I'll yeah. take off. Um, yep. So when you start doing the pollen scoop from the start, you kind of, in your mind, start looking for the burrows that's active and. Uh, an indication is sometimes wombie might take off and go down a burrow, and you go, oh, "Okay, that's probably the burrow." So we'll do they only check have one? In. No, they can have up to four or five. And how do they? How do you like? Do they use them for different purposes, or they just have a like? They've got just a whole bunch of houses that they like to circulate through. I think it's more that they just pick one and go, "Yeah, I think I'll live here th- for three months," and then they enjoy that. And then we've had burrows that have been populated by four or five wombats at the same time. Um, for six months or nine months, all of a sudden they all move out and there's no one home. Oh, so they, but they don't change burrows from night to night? No. Okay. No. So okay. generally it's the same one for a period of time. Uh, the other thing that they might do is if you do chase or if they do take off from you, they'll go to an emergency bolt hole. So it might be like a, a concrete pipe under a driveway. A panic or, room. Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. Wow. Okay, so can anyone do this? Um, yes, um, anyone can do that. It's very simple and easy to do, and we give uh, advice uh, once people report their wombat to us on how to go about treatment, what to uh, do, and um, what they need uh, to observe and to watch out for. If the proper mange, mange treatment is applied, how quickly does that take effect? Like, are you going to see a result fairly quickly, or do you have to kind of... 
Um, stick no, with it? No, it, it's gonna, it takes a number of months for the wombat to get to that stage where he's that bad, that he's out during the day and everything else. So it's not an overnight fix. Okay. But um, the wombat will feel better after about a week, um, okay. after the first treatment. Yeah. But visible results, um, we can see it earlier because we, you know, looked at hundreds of um, or thousands probably of wombat photos and uh, improvements and everything else. We kind of see it after two or three weeks. But usually people can only see that after about four or five weeks when the scabs start to uh, come off and a healthy skin um, appears underneath. Okay. Yeah, so generally the scabs will, what will happen is the first dose of Cydectin will pretty much kill most of the mites within the first 24 hours. Um, but then you've got other, um, you've got two factors involved. You've got the uh, mites in the burrow still in the soil and they can yeah. live for up to two weeks off host. Uh-huh. So Wombi will go back there, pick up some new ones yeah, and right. then they'll go for a ride and then um, you get another dose onto it the next week. It'll probably kill those ones off. But in the meantime, the females lay the eggs in the skin of the um, wombat those eggs hatch and then the young ones come out and they have a four-week life cycle for a mange mite um, from birth to death. So therefore, that's why you really have to do it for four to six weeks to keep up the um, treatment so you can kill all those factors. As in you have to keep like um, pouring it on their back or yeah. having a, 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 a burrow, burrow flat, flat for yes. f- how long? Four to six Four to six weeks. Yeah, okay. We would normally say as a minimum. Um, so and that's, a are... pretty, that's a decent commitment to make if, you know, going out... Um, yeah weekly to do that yeah and yeah. and i guess the same for the burrow flap with the little with the little tipper is that a weekly just a weekly thing change okay. yeah that's it's relatively easy in a way because you can just go out there um pour the solution in there or squirt the solution into the flap yeah. and then just walk away and that's it sort of thing so it's a bit easier than doing the pollen scoop which is more chasing committed. yeah yes. yeah okay but that's why we get the landowners involved in doing that if uh, where we can because that way, that's how the program works best, that we give out the treatment kits to the landowners and they um, do the treatment under our guidance. That way we can treat many more wombats as just us going out and we cover the whole state of Victoria uh, and it's all a, a volunteer um, thing for us. So wow. uh, in that case, we can't go, we can't be everywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. So it works best that the landowners um, treat themselves under our guidance. And I guess general, just members of the public? Yes, People who, like, walk through parks every day might see a wombat? Or mostly they've got the wombat on their property. Okay. And they know best uh, where the burrows are. They see them more regularly than if, you know, one of us or a volunteer would go there and the wombat just happens not to be out that time. So the landowners um, are, you know, usually very involved in that. They like their wombats. They give them names and they want to see them healthy. So yeah. they, they try and do whatever they can. Plus we've developed good relationships with some of the park rangers yeah. and there's some very committed park rangers mm-hmm. out there who will go out, photograph them, dose them, send us the images. It, it's a wonderful sort of community experience, if you like. But the way you say that, you're saying there, there are some very committed, wonderful rangers, it sounds like. But on the other hand, there's some that are not... Um, I don't know whether they're fully up with the program. Okay, that was yeah. very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> That's my middle name. <laughs> um, well, you were talking about the mites that continue to live in the burrows, and that problem. How do you? Is there a way to address those mites that you know they? they you say they live off the host for up to four weeks. Yeah. How do you 
get those? Well, um, I mean, if you keep dosing, so let's say they last for, you know, maybe a week or two off host, they're in the soil. If you keep the cytokine up on the wombat, um, okay. the, yeah. the the ones in the um, burrow will jump back on again, but then try and burrow in and get killed off, that okay. sort of thing. So it's attrition, if you like. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, so that's why you need to keep that treatment going for yes. their full duration yeah. to make sure everything in the burrow is eradicated. Is done as well. Yeah, so okay. the other thing to think about too is people do say, why can't we just fumigate the burrow? But the trouble is a fumigation will probably kill whatever's in there. And burrows are actually used, this is the thing about wombats, they create homes for many other species like snakes, lizards, um, echidnas. And they uh, cohabit happily? um, Not necessarily, but, you know, in empty burrows, as I said, you might have four or five burrows there that aren't being used by a wombat. And um, uh, the empty ones are probably being used by echidnas or snakes or blue-tongued lizards in, in hibernation, that sort of thing. So they're a home for many. Yeah, right. Oh, that's good to know. Hmm. Good to know. If you're not a farmer or a landholder, can where can you go and get the necessary equipment to just to go and treat a, a wombat with mange that you know that just lives in your neighbourhood? Well, in Victoria, um, so we give out we as in mange management, we give out free treatment kits for um, landowners or people who would like to treat a wombat. We keep them free just to give more wombats a chance um, to get treatment. And uh, like I said, we uh, provide guidance and uh, tell them how to go about it. Um, people, in theory, could, you know, it's, the product is available in product stores. We use um, uh, produce stores um, so we can um, kind of give them direction. If they've, Some of the farmers might even have Sardectin for their cattle because it's a cattle and red deer drench originally. Ah, okay. Um, and uh, we have a permit to use it for um, treating wombats with mange. So there's different options. Okay. We have about 50 pick-up points around Victoria too. That's the other thing. So From, from the, whole, the whole breadth of... Yeah, so of mainly Victoria. vets. Um, vets and DELP um, officers, are, uh, we have treatment kits available. Um, so people don't have to go too far because we can't send them out by mail. Yeah, there, okay. There's a wireframe yeah. which would be too awkward. The liquid, you know, oh, is to send for the burrow flap. So yeah. for the burrow, the flaps. whole burrow flap is there. Everything's a, there. Is it and ready to install? Correct. There's and everything you need in a kit. Who inst- who foots the bill for that? We do. Do yeah, we, we do. get donations for it, and we assemble these things as volunteers, mm-hmm. uh, and then we um, uh, we have volunteers drive out. So, for example, um, we had a volunteer drive out to Alexandra, Buxton. Um, Mansfield and Yay to do a circuit last week to drop off about 30 kits or so. So um, To these places like yeah. Vets and Delbin? Yes, yep. just okay. to make it yep. easy for people. We try and not have people drive more than 30 minutes to pick up a free treatment kit. Um, so because they won't. Because they won't. Yeah. And it's, uh, so we've got those pick-up points um, all over Victoria. Wow. And we just have to supply them and you know restock them when they run out. So mm. that's how it works. So how much does one kit cost? Well, uh, it's about uh, $18, $20, um, to, but that's just obviously the um, supplies themselves. So that's not the time to make them up. Um, so that's just the raw material, if you yeah. like. But that, that would cover the whole the treatment course? Yes, yeah, okay. for, for one wombat. How about someone, if you see a wombat that's got mange, can you, assuming you can... <clears throat> You're strong. How about can you just catch it and take it to a wildlife sanctuary or to a vet for treatment? 
Um, we don't recommend catching them um, because most of the time they don't do well in captivity because they've got a, a low immune system due to the mange already and often they die of stress within a day or two. Um, so that's why we treat them in the field uh, and they often don't even realize they've been treated. They just feel a bit of a liquid on their back or the same with the bowel flap. Uh, it's uh, you know not stressful for them at all. And they can stay where they are because the other problem is when you take them into care, um, they lose their territory and then another wombat can move in. So once you try and release that, that, you know, is occupied and then they can fight and can attack each other, which can lead to severe injuries as well. Plus you might get um, that, uh, you might remove a, a mangy wombat. And then the next night, healthy wombat will take up that burrow, which has got mites in yeah, it. Right. It'll pick it up. The cycle goes on. Yeah, so okay. I think it's best to treat in field. Okay. All right. Let's just have a little little, little break for a song. We've got this song, um, Muse. Who picked Muse? I think that was me. That was you. Because <laughs> it was called Dig Down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty uh, to the point for a wombat. But it's also, I really like the lyrics. The lyrics are very, very relevant to... Um, this point in time with the state of the world. So let's just have a listen to Muse with Dig Down and then we'll come back and we'll talk with Katya and Nick some more about Wombat Mange. And you fall to the ground You must find a way When the darkness descends And you're told it's the end You must find a way When God decides to look the other way and I can't touch the throne We must find a way Face the firing squad Against all the odds You will find a way Dig down Dig down Dig down When you're close to the edge Or with a gun to your head You must find a way When friends are thin on the ground And they try to divide us We must find a way 
From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. That last song was Muse with Dig Down. And we are in the studio with Nick and Katya from the local organisation Mange Management, which treats mange in wombats. Can you tell us about the success rates in treating mange? Um, It is a successful process when followed um, through the course of six to eight weeks, if you like. Um, There are times when wombi might disappear and then turn up two weeks later. Cydectin, the chemical we use, is actually in the body for up to a month effectively, but really is only working actively for about two weeks. So you do have sort of periods where you might not see Wombi, but um, generally the treatments we've seen uh, do work, and when we stick to the course of action, it, it works fine. Are there cases of mange that you see and you just go, you just know that that's untreatable? When you know yes. that there's a happy, healthy wombat is not going to be the outcome. Yes, that'll really depend on a few conditions. Um, the biggest threat is late summer or summertime, late summer going into autumn. Uh, the thing about the Cydectin or any of these sorts of chemicals, it's a bit like using frontline for dogs and cats and this sort of thing. You get it onto them, it gets into their skin. These sorts of um, topical solutions actually get into the fat layers of the animals and then they slowly dispense out from the fat layer if you like now if you've got an animal that's got low body fat um, you will have trouble treating because it won't last as long as it should so you might have to do more treatments uh i've lost my train of thought sorry (laughs) oh no that's all right um what do you do when you know when you when you've seen a one and you you know that it's not going to work what is the course of action then okay we tend to have to get a wildlife carer or uh, ranger in to proper euthanize that's what the end story is for those things. And and you can tell because they become very sluggish, very lethargic. They really don't feel active. They've probably got some major secondary issue going on there with um, septicemia or blood poisoning or um, these sorts of things. So it makes it very difficult for them to get over the, um, the issue, if you like. And because they've got low immunity already... Um, all these factors sort of combine. And you can tell if they're just not really moving and not really acting like a wombat. Uh, look, I've got wombats that, in my mind, it's when they get a growly and they scratch the ground and want to charge you, this sort of thing, you go, you know what, you've got a bit of life in you, so I'm happy to give you a second go. But you will get ones that just do not do that and just will just not move sort of thing. So... When it's time to euthanize a wombat mm-hmm. and you call it, who does that? You say a ranger or a... Wildlife carer. A wildlife carer. So you need a registered wildlife okay. carer and you can ring uh, Wildlife Victoria, uh, someone like that, or uh, Help for Wildlife and um, these sorts of organisations can come out and euthanize basically. Is that done with a rifle? Uh, it's probably done with a captive bolt. 
which is a device that okay. um, is a bit like using a, a gun without the bullet, if you like. Okay. I don't think we've actually touched on this earlier, but the level of suffering of a wombat that's got severe mange, is there severe suffering going on at, to this point? Um, there probably is from the scratching and the irritation to the skin. Um, it would be, uh, yes, it's, it's really bad. And, and they've got... Um, so when they start to rub against things and they pull bits of the um, um, scabs off, you know, it sort of gets quite bloody and this sort of thing. So, yes, it is pretty horrendous, unfortunately. Right. And then I suppose if they're also, when they lose condition, they're, they're needing more food, they're looking for more yes. food, they can't find enough food. Yes. So they're hungry as well. They're hungry as well, yes. Yeah, right. And I get, and then maybe not, not being able to find water sources. Yeah, they dehydrate more quickly. We've noticed that wombats with mange tend to will go to water bowls in the garden, this sort of thing. That More regularly? And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. So what's being done by the Australian government authorities on the issue of wombat mange? Well, uh, the short answer is not much. Um, there, um, We need some background data to... Um, show them and demonstrate to them that wombat numbers are decreasing um, very quickly uh, between all the threats to the wombats. What we mentioned earlier with, you know, not only mange but roadkill, loss of habitat uh, and these sort of things. Um, so we need basically uh, some kind of uh, population survey to have a base number and then repeat that to make sure, because the way we are going at the moment, we estimate that in the next 30 years' time, wombats might become endangered. Um, and they're such an iconic um, Australian animal, we can't really let that happen. Mm. Well, even aside from being an iconic animal, they're, they're, a, sentient, they're a sentient being. Definitely. Um, are there differences in mange response from state to state when it comes to the government authorities or whether or whether it comes to the mange organisations like yourself? Um, yes, there are. There's different regulations in each state, unfortunately, which makes it uh, a bit harder. Um, in some states like New South Wales, landowners are not allowed to treat a wombat even on their own property. Oh. So like a wildlife carer or group needs to do that for them, which of course limits the number of wombats that can get treatment. Um, South Australia has different regulations again, which um, mean that animals, in, like if you take any in care, they can't be released. Uh, and there's all sorts of different regulations, which makes it hard to have like a, a national approach to it. Um, but um, there's some research going on. There's groups in every state as well who uh, try and do what they can um, very much like we do. Yeah, okay. Are the authorities supporting volunteers? Um, look, there's grants for volunteers and stuff like that. Um, so, But that's kind of the extent of it. So you can apply for grants when you you know, have a volunteer group um, for um, specific things. But, of course, that's not really covering what you're doing. So there's, I don't think there's enough support um, from the government for that. Is that covering your costs for these for these treatment kits? Um, it de- depends a little bit. Um, at the moment, um, it yeah, it it is kind of, but um, you know, in two or three months' time, it could be different again. 
So, um, yeah, it, it depends. It's very hard to get grants because they're very competitive. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of um, groups and organizations applying for them. So sometimes we are lucky and get one, but more often we are not yeah. that lucky. Mm. So how many volunteers make up your organization, Mange Management? We, um, we have maybe about 40 active volunteers. Um, so we are not a big group at all. Um, and they do different things for us. And those 40 volunteers are across the state? They're across the state. A lot of them are just uh, treating in-field. Um, if, for example, a landowner can't treat um, in, because they're elderly maybe yeah. or not mobile enough yep. or have a big property, uh, if we have a volunteer in that area, we can offer assistance, but, of course, we don't have enough to um, cover the, the needs, really. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So what's the general level of awareness like for, you know, for mange and, and particularly for mange treatment opportunities, that level of awareness across the public and the farming communities? Well, that, that's changing. Um, traditionally, the idea of treating a, a mangy wombat was just to shoot it and that was it. And that still happens a lot. Um, but we are getting a change in... We've noticed in, in emails that come to us and information, um, up until 12 months ago, we'd get emails from people saying, I have a mangy wombat, what can I do, sort of thing. Uh, or, I have a mangy wombat, and they'd just report it, that's it. Um, these days, we're getting more people go, I have a mangy wombat, what can I do? Mm, and right. that, that's been a subtle but mm. big difference. Mm. So the message is getting out there, and... Um, Having the pick-up points and having people able to do it in Victoria, for example, but on their own property has made a huge difference from that ability to, you know, to treat things anyway. Mm. Are farmers on board? Um, yes and no. Um, to a large extent, it's still the common um, approach that a wombat is causing damage to fences and things like that. Um, there, there are ways to work around these issues, if you like, but I think tradition kicks in and I think people still just do things traditionally. Mm. So that's that's the hardest change. You, you might be looking at a generational change before that really settles in anyway. Yeah. And um, there's uh, in Victoria you need permits um, to cull wombats and unfortunately our state government gives out... Uh, between three and 4,000 permits a year to cull mostly healthy wombats, which is, of course, also a threat to wombats. You know, whether they are legally or illegally culled mm. doesn't really matter, but that's something we are trying to get changed as well because, you know, we are losing too many wombats as it is. So giving out, you know, so many permits doesn't really help. Yeah, of course it doesn't help at all. Um what would you want to see done by government authorities for this for the issue of mange? Like, other than you talked about a survey, you need a survey yeah. done. But would you like to see um, a national program by government, or would you rather see them support the volunteer organisations better? Well, I think a bit of everything, really. Um, so there there needs to be research done um, in you know alternative treatments, potentially one-off treatments, which uh, there's one under development at the moment. Um, so, but they need funding to um, get that done. And um, the sooner we can get something like that, the better the outcomes for the wombats are going to be. 
Um, we need that population survey, so we need to know what the numbers are at the moment, how many wombats do we have, how many of them do have mange. So we need some of those stats to kind of demonstrate how dire the situation really is and that something needs to change. Does the issue of mange mites in the environment need to be addressed? You know, not just how to treat the wombats, but how to eradicate mange mites uh, yes. in the environment before yeah. Europe. Before you know, before Europeans turned up, we didn't have them. No, that's right. I mean, you can look at it from the human aspect. Um, I did go to a, a seminar a few years back um, held at Melbourne Uni, and basically the professor was giving a talk about twenty-seven um, percent of human diseases originate from wildlife. Basically, so um, the thinking and the approach is: if you can treat the wildlife for those issues, you can have a substantial. Um, impact on human diseases if you like so it's no different with scabies mange if you can find a solution that works best for that from a mange from a, a, a landscape soil perspective and treat the mange mite out there you'll have far less issues mm. with the human aspect anyway um, as for example a lot of um, remote communities do have some issues with scabies you know so when patients come in from remote locations they have to be checked for scabies when they're in the hospital because they don't want to infect you know the other patients with that sort of thing is it possible to eradicate mange mites or is it just i think it's very difficult because they're in the, in the environment like fleas and ticks so other yeah. than you know you spray chemicals over yeah. master which you don't want to do either yeah, sure. because you could do more damage yeah. than good I think it's very difficult. There have been some thoughts about, you know, how that could be approached. But again, if you do manage to eradicate them in a certain area, um, uh, they move in from outside that area again. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so it's very hard to win against them like that. So it's really a case we're having to manage mites rather than eliminate them to manage mites to manage um the animals yeah. like you know to find cures to find yeah. treatments for yeah. them okay. yeah so is there much collaboration going on between the wombat mange organizations like yourself like for you know for sharing learnings and data and so on is that going on uh yes we have um seminar or um symposiums every couple of years or three years or something like that You're and right. there are constantly um uh, information being shared with other groups. Um, what makes it difficult is this ability of the states having different regulations about mm. wildlife full stop. So um, that impacts how you can treat or what programs you can set up. So our program might be wonderful and works like a charm, but you can't do it in New South Wales. So then they have to reinvent the wheel and come up with a program that will work. So yeah, okay. you've got this inconsistency mm. across the the, uh, the country, unfortunately. I understand that you both went to a... Uh Wombat Mange Symposium recently in uh, Queen Bianne, was that Yes, right? Queen yeah. Bianne near yeah. Canberra. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how, how was that? Did you, did you get some really good outcomes and insights from that event? Um, it was really good to um, meet. So there were basically groups from uh, other states from around the country meeting there and uh, giving talks. We gave a talk as well um, about how the treatment program works in Victoria just to show them, because we've developed like a, a special database, uh, which is very unique, um, which is uh, and very user friendly. So we were sharing that with others. So it was really good in that respect that you know you could share knowledge, like you just mentioned before, and experiences and 
how everyone's going about things and um, just to meet and, uh, and you know, connect and, uh, and talk to each other because we get a lot of cases from other states because uh, if you Google Wombat Mange, uh, we usually come up first. So we um, just uh, hand over cases from other states to the other groups as well. So it's good to have um, good relationships with them. Mm. Why do wombats do cube-shaped poos on rocks? <laughs> I'm impressed. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and especially the way they do it. But uh, and they put it up on a rock or log and everything. But there's been some research just recently by Dr. Scott Carver from University of Tasmania, and he found that um, the intestines of the wombats are to be blamed for that. So unfortunately, oh, it's very okay. boring. It's not very exciting, no, the answer. Okay. But they've got different muscle thicknesses uh, in their intestines, which means they get kind of uh, squeezed around. They have a very slow metabolism as well. So grass they eat today will only come out the other day at the other end uh, after about a week. Wow. Um, so <laughs> it takes a long time. Um, it's very dry uh, what they eat, and it dries out even more in the intestines. So that's how they end up um, having cube-shaped poo. Ah, there you go. So, and before we get one more, where do we find more information for people who um, want to treat mange for their local mangy wombat or want to help out in other ways? There's probably other ways to help out. And I imagine the need is great. Um, can you give us a website link or a Facebook we, link? We have a website at www.mangemanagement.org.au. That's and easy. we're also present on Facebook so people can uh, – and we have a – there's a phone number there, a mobile phone number, which will go to one of our volunteers. So um, we're available sort of around the clock, basically, if you need help anyway. Okay, that's great. Mm. That's really good. Look, thank you so much for coming into the studio, both of you today. Thank that's you. awesome. Th- thanks for having us. Well, yeah. especially on such a lovely day, you could be outside running around chasing wombats. But well, you came I'm, into the I'm doing that after this, actually. I'm going <laughs> okay. out to look for a wombat and a camera. Oh, good, <laughs> good. Um, you've got, you're doing amazing work. It's fantastic that the wombats have got you... On their side. Now you've just been listening to Katya and Nick from the organisation Mange Management talking about mange in wombats and what they're doing to try to alleviate the immense suffering involved. You're tuned to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Now you can contact us by email, info at freedomofspecies.org and you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. But I'm going to um, leave you with two songs. I'm going to leave you with, um, the first song is going to be Time Flies by an American band called Secret Agent 23 Skidoo. And then a, a song after that that Nick chose, Peter Gabriel's song Digging in the Dirt, again, highly relevant for a wombat. And um, we will see you next week. We've got a story about a butterfly who had butterflies about being a butterfly. What's that mean? We got a story about a caterpillar who was afraid of heights. Strange, huh? This is called Time Flies. Yeah, yeah. I used to know this caterpillar. He was strong as a gorilla, stronger than Godzilla. But still the problem got him worried. He had a secret. He had to keep it. He couldn't speak it. No, this caterpillar, he was scared of heights, terrified. He thought the ground was very nice. It was paradise. He slept there at 
at nights and stayed all day on the caterpillars climb trees he said no way he told excuses and jokes to make the others laugh they thought that he was just lazy but it wasn't that he was scared so he liked the forest floor more he thought what do i want to grow wings and soar for but he knew how it's supposed to go because every caterpillar becomes a butterfly don't you know imagine having a ghost like that that haunted you he kept worrying like what am i gonna do Suffering man, wondering and finally came up with a plan how he could stay on the ground while the others flew high. He'd be in the green grass while they're in the blue sky. He figured he'd still chill with the caterpillar pack, talk about this and that, eating leaves, getting fat. And when the time came, he built a cocoon, a little bedroom. He knew that it happened real soon. But while the rest turned to butterflies, he'd shut his eyes and go to sleep instead of changing like the other guys. And when they came out, changed and flooded away, he'd stay and be the same as he was. Today, he's flagging in the sky, uh-uh, no chance. The time came, and he found himself a low branch. Began cocoon spinning, whistling a tune, grinning, and brought his fear into his cocoon with him. Open your eyes, if you look real close, you can see time fly. Time flies. To the clear blue sky. Time flies. Open your eyes, if you look real close, you can see time fly. sleep what strange dreams he felt cramped so he pushed on the main seam of his cocoon till it broke open after many days in darkness the sunlight was so golden sleep can make you forget things he came out stretched his neck stretched his legs and stretched his wings so surprised he was speechless all of them including him had turned into new creatures he looked up and the sky looked different the breeze began to lift him and then he started drifting it felt so cool he was shocked by it it's like he never ever wanted to stop not trying to change, he did anyway. Cause change, well that's the thing that happens every day. He just had to accept it. Put his cocoon on the ground next to his fear and he left it. Left it. Open your eyes, if you look real close, you can see time fly. Time fly. To the clear blue sky. Come on. Open your eyes, if you look real close, you can see time fly.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.